In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning. It's great to be here with you, and I'm so delighted to have this opportunity to confirm and to preach. And I'm so grateful to Christy and to James and Rob and the whole gang of folks who have made today possible. Thank you for your faithfulness and for your uh, faithful service in keeping all souls healthy and moving forward during this challenging season. Well, Angela and I have been traveling quite a lot in recent days and encountering some of the minor frustrations of travel. I'm pleased to report that our trip here was without event, but I heard that some of you who came to visit us in Pittsburgh last week had troubles getting home. I think James had to be creative. Um, and the good thing is that most of the people we meet on the way take the annoyances in their stride, but not, not everyone. There was one situation in Denver recently when a crowded United flight was canceled. A single agent was rebooking a long line of inconvenienced travelers. Suddenly, an angry passenger pushed his way to the desk. He slapped his ticket down the counter, said, I have to be on this flight. It has to be first class. The agent replied, I'm sorry, sir. I'd be happy to try to help you but I've got to help these folks first. I'm sure we'll be able to work something out. The passenger was unimpressed. He asked loudly so that the passengers behind could hear him. Do you have any idea who I am? Without hesitating, the gate agent smiled, grabbed her public address microphone. May I have your attention, please? She began, her voice bellowing throughout the terminal. We have a passenger here at the gate who does not know who he is. <laughs> if anyone can help him find his identity, please come to gate 17. As you might imagine, everyone laughed except him. And eventually everyone got home. But I want to stay with that question. Do you know who you are? When we first went to Truro Church in Fairfax, Virginia, more than 30 years ago, it was a little overwhelming for all of us. There were well over 2,000 members for us to meet and greet. And Rachel was only eight years old at the time, but she knew who she was. And she would go up to people and introduce herself by saying, Hi, I'm Rachel, Dad's daughter. <laughs> it was rather cute. But her words contained profound truth. See, she established who she was through her relationship with her father. And that really is true for all of us. We are to know ourselves through our relationship with our Heavenly Father. Do you? The sad thing is that many people are confused about their identity these days. They really don't know who they are. Lots of people identify themselves with their occupation. If you ask them, who are you, they'll answer with a resume. But that misses the point. What you do is not who you are. Eventually, that way of thinking will leave you without any identity at all. Others identify themselves by their sexual orientation, 
But those categories keep changing, and in truth, it is only a part of what makes us human and the unique person that God has created. In recent days, I've heard people identify themselves by their political preference. And now we have commentators describing entire states as red or blue. And frankly, I find it rather naive and somewhat disturbing because it creates barriers where none are needed. Every person is unique, and we don't fit into tidy boxes. What about you? Do you know who you are? Well, for help with that question, I'd like to take a look at our gospel lesson for today. At first glance, I admit it's a little obscure. We're told it was the Feast of Dedication at Jerusalem. And they were celebrating the rededication of the temple in 165 BC by Judas the Maccabee, following its desecration by the Greeks. And the feast lasted eight days, and it's celebrated in what we would consider winter, beginning on the 25th day of the month Hislev, which is somewhere between November and December in our calendar. And today, we might know it as a Feast of Lights, or perhaps some of you have heard it called Hanukkah. And since a ceremonial lighting of eight candles, one for each day of the feast, has been a major part of the observance, especially since the destruction of the temple in the year 70 AD. It's a joyful festival because it was a time to celebrate the glorious victory for the Jewish people. As you know well, the temple was at the heart of their life, and after its desecration by Antiochus Epiphanes, there was a real question as to whether they could continue to exist as a people. But the Maccabean Wars made it clear that they were not going to quietly fade away. It was a time which established a new sense of self-confidence. They knew that they were a people called by God, and now they knew that God had not abandoned them. And we read that Jesus was in the temple, in the temple area, by the way, you know a temple was not like just a big cathedral. It was more, much a wider open space. It was in the portico of Solomon, thought by most scholars to be the covered walkway on the side of the temple overlooking the Mount of Olives. It must have been a favorite place for the disciples because that's also where Peter preached after Pentecost. And later, we read that all the disciples were together in Solomon's portico and many miracles were done by them. Now, on this particular occasion, the Jewish religious leaders gathered around Jesus and challenged him to tell them if he was the Messiah. Who are you? They asked. How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The miracles I do in my Father's name speak for me. But you do not believe because you are not my sheep. Ouch. What's behind this rather strong statement? Well, in John's Gospel, we've already seen Jesus change water into wine, heal the royal official's son, heal the man at the pool of Bethsaida, feed 5,000 with five loaves and two fish, walk on water, heal the man born blind. Not bad for a resume. Jesus had been busy. And his answer was that he had already told them who he was by his words and actions. But the religious leaders were not ready to believe. And that's why they were not his sheep. 
But why did he call them sheep? Well, let's face it, the image of sheep is not a very helpful one for us today, but it was then. One particularly vivid use is when Jesus declares that the shepherd is the gate for the sheep. Have you got the picture? At night, shepherds drove their sheep into a, a walled enclosure, which typically it was a circular, or at least had three sides. And then the shepherd would lie across the open side, actually becoming the gate or the door for the sheep. So you see, when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me, he has this very graphic image in mind. But don't let this rather quaint picture of sheep mislead you. Jesus is making an extraordinary claim, a very exclusive claim. Jesus is claiming that no one can have a relationship with God, the Father, except through him. No one. No matter how sincere, no one. No matter how intelligent, no one. Not even if you were born in the temple at Jerusalem, no one. And that's a radical claim, and one that still makes lots of people wince. Actually, what Jesus is saying is even more radical than that. He says that if we want to see the kingdom of God, we must become a new creation. We must be born again. You see, becoming a follower of Jesus is not having another hobby or joining another club, not some new activity. It is a new identity. It's not about, it is about being, not about doing. So who are you? If you consider yourself to be a follower of Jesus, you are a new creation. Say it with me. A new creation. You have been born anew. So let's see what Jesus says about this new creation. He says, my sheep listen to my voice. And Jesus speaks to us by his words and his deeds. All the things that he has done, preaching good news to the poor, proclaiming freedom to prisoners, making the blind see, releasing the oppressed, have been described hundreds of years before as being marks of the Messiah. So Jesus is challenging us to listen to his voice, calling us to repent and believe the good news through his actions as well as through his words. What else? Well, Jesus says, I know them. But how does one get to know and be known by Jesus? It's more than mere listening. John says it well. To all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. It's not automatic. We have to do something. We have to receive and believe. We have to put our trust in him and not ourselves. But there's still more. Jesus says, and they follow me. See, becoming a new creation means we are willing to yield the control of our lives to him. It means obeying his word, doing his work, being his witness. It means asking that very basic question, what would Jesus do and then do it? Now, those of you who are being confirmed today have been given a little book by my wife, Angela. It's one that many of you have heard of. I suspect most of you have read Charles Sheldon's classic little book, In His Steps. A bit old-fashioned, I admit, but it's a quick read, and it could change your life. Who are you? You are a new creation. Let that sink in.
a new creation. You're also part of a new community. Sheep didn't live in isolation, and neither should we. As disciples of Jesus, you are members of a new community. Solitary Christianity is not New Testament Christianity. You know, one of the most wonderful gifts that Angela and I have been given over the years is the gift of friends all over the world, including Wheaton, Illinois. We have convinced our grandchildren that wherever they travel for study or work, we have people there. <laughs> and so far, we've managed to make that true. A few years ago, our granddaughter Alex was studying in Valencia, Spain. A little bit of a stretch for me. And feeling very far from home. So after a prayer, a few emails and phone calls, I discovered that there was a young missionary family from Australia who had just started a church in Valencia. They connected and quickly became a home away from home, and the myth of our global connections remains secure. <laughs> and that's how it meant to be for all of us, because when Jesus calls us, he calls us into community. He calls us into fellowship with him and with one another. The two cannot be separated. If anyone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command. Whoever loves God must also love his brother, yes, and his sister. What astonished the pagan world was not the preaching or teaching or even the miracles. What absolutely astonished them was the way in which those early Christians loved one another. They couldn't get over it. Even in those days, the world was divided into us and them. In fact, even more harshly than today. Jews and Greeks, rich and poor, male, female, slave, free. In Christ, all members of the same community. It was an astonishing thing to see, and it still is. Who are you? You are members of a new community. And there's more. Listen to these amazing words. Jesus said, I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand, all of which inspires a new confidence. I'm sure by now those of you who recognize my Baptist heritage can see three points lurking. Uh, what was the first one? What's the first? New creation. What was the second? Come on, people, people. Second one? New community. Third, new confidence. Because we've been given eternal life. The most popular Bible verse of all time is, For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Which means that this life is only a tiny part of our life with the Lord. We know that we're going to live in God's presence forever, and so we can face life with all of its problems with new confidence. We've also been assured that we will never perish. And when we encounter the destructive forces of this world, we can be confident that the enemy will never have the last word. We will never perish. We have the whole armor of God, and so we can stand firm in the victory that Christ has already won. We also have the promise that no one can snatch them out of my hand. And this is one of the most beautiful images in the Bible. Picture a shepherd holding a newborn lamb or a mother holding a newborn baby. 
And that's a picture of Christ's love for you and for me. Paul writes in his letter to the Romans, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered a sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor their height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be the separators from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Amen. amen? amen? By the way, amen doesn't mean, oh dear, he's almost finished, he's Anglican. It actually means, yes, I agree, amen? amen. Mm. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. So who are you? As a follower of Jesus, you are a new creation. You are members of a new community who live with new confidence because we are secure in Christ's love. But, friends, confidence is not the same as arrogance. Some people have turned this promise of security into cheap grace. They say you can accept Jesus and live like the devil because God has got to save you. Wrong. To be one of his sheep and to receive his promises means far more than spouting empty words. It's a life of obedience. Sheep do what the shepherd tells them. Not only are we to love one another as he has loved us, but we're also to be his witnesses both here in Wheaton and to the ends of the earth. So now you can answer the question, who are you? As a disciple of Christ, you are a new creation, members of a new community, living with new confidence, ready to do God's will. And since today is Mother's Day, a day to honor mothers, let me conclude with a story about my own mother, Hannah, who died in the year 2001 at the age of 83. A few months before Hannah died, she was working in the garden that she loved. And she turned to pull a bag of mulch towards her, and she broke her neck. She didn't realize at the time her bones were weak. And a doctor, being a good British doctor, recommended taking aspirin. Sorry, I shouldn't have said that, but recommended taking aspirin and going home to lie down to ease the discomfort. And the pain grew worse, and she was finally admitted into hospital for examination. But just as the doctor was, another doctor, was lining her up for the x-rays, he severed her spinal column, leaving her completely paralyzed from the neck down. It was devastating. I got the phone call. We flew over. And when I arrived at the hospital, I found her remarkably at peace. As she lay there, she continued to talk and to think and look just like my mother. She could still give me that look that mothers all have been blessed with. But her body, from down here, no longer functioned. Emily, my 27-year-old niece, came and said with all seriousness, Granny has become a talking head. <laughs> it was true. 
but it did raise a question, what actually defines us? What makes us who we are? My mother was still my mother. Her mind, her spirit, her life in Christ were all present. All of her memories, all the stories, even if the rest of her was missing. After a few days, she was no longer able to breathe, and so passed away peacefully to continue her life in the closer presence of the God who loved her. So who are you? You're not just this body. You're a new creation, members of a new community, living with a new confidence, ready to do God's will. Do I hear an amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you and I bless you for your faithfulness. I thank you that you've made each one of us a new creation. That you've given us this new community. And you've blessed us with new confidence. May we live in that confidence, knowing who we are. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.